This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast, everyone. I'm excited today to be talking with Faith Clark. She is the founder of Melody of Autism and the author of the book Parenting Ninja. Her son, Jaden, was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. Now, Jaden is now 20 years old, and so Faith has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom to share with you about her journey as the parent of a child with autism. She also has two other kids, so she has plenty of wisdom about parenting in general, but it was really enlightening and revealing and interesting to talk with Faith about her journey and how she handled this really unexpected news. I mean, no parent expects to get a diagnosis like autism, but Faith really took this into her own hands. She found places where community and education and awareness was lacking. She's actually from Jamaica originally, and that is where her son was diagnosed. And there is a lot of um, there are a lot of lack of resources in places like Jamaica. And so she really has done a lot for communities that need more awareness and education and opportunity in this space. She, she shared so much wisdom with me, you guys. Um, I teared up a couple times just from hearing some of the things she's learned and gone through with her son. And man, this woman is truly a blessing to her community and especially to those parents who are dealing with this diagnosis and and to the kids, the very special kids who have autism and have so much to contribute to the world. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Faith. All right, Faith. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, Erica, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am really intrigued by some of the work you do. And today we're going to be talking about some of that, the work that you do um, for the autism community. Your your oldest son, Jaden, has autism. And you, since that time um, he was diagnosed as a little boy, you have done a whole lot of really impactful work in the space. Um, But before we dive into all of that, I would love to hear a little bit more about you. I know you are from Jamaica. I am. Uh, You now live in New York. Um, I love that you're from Jamaica because I got married there. So it's kind of a fun little connection. Um, I will always have uh, Jamaica close to my heart for that reason. Um, But tell us, how did you get from Jamaica to New York? And just a little bit about your background and who you are. So, so that's interesting. Um, my mom lived in New York for several years and, you know, in, in Jamaican culture, there is a, there is a, I guess a phenomenon of migration when, um, economies struggle and, and families are trying to figure out how to, to survive. Migration is usually an option. And from Jamaica, that would be England or the U S. And so my mom left when I was 12 and I grew up with my grandma. And when I was 21, I decided I wanted to get to know her and spend some time with her. And that was just right in time for grad school. And so I decided to move to New York to spend time with her. And I spent about four years here, kind of four to five years, just living with her, being with her until uh, the guy I met in college in Jamaica decided I, you know what, why don't we just get married? And I said, okay. And, and I <laughs> went back to Jamaica. So I'd lived here for a bit, worked here for a bit, 
went back to Jamaica and kind of settled into life, got married and started having a family when we noticed, um, you know, the, the potential challenges with our son. And so that caused me to move back to New York because I was so concerned about resources and supports and, you know, autism was a, I had no idea what to do. And so I, I moved back to New York because I felt like I could get um, access to more resources to help him here. So your husband is not Jamaican. He's not. He is Jamaican. We met in a college in Jamaica. Oh, okay. And, gotcha. And I um, left him in Jamaica, came to grad school here. We weren't married then. And then we decided that was not tenable. So I moved back. And But when I came back the second time, so I tell people I, I migrated to the U.S. twice. When I came back the second time, I brought him with me. And so before you had kids, you had already gone to college and you have a couple degrees. Tell me about your kind of your professional background before having a family. So grad school for me was computer engineering. I was a techie nerdy um, girl who enjoyed uh, building systems, but but I, you know, I didn't want to get my hands dirty. So software was the perfect place to build systems and to think about how to be creative. And then I realized that I didn't, I loved systems, but I really loved people more. I was really getting bored sitting in my cubicle, uh, sitting in front of the computer. So I decided I wanted to teach. And so when I went back to Jamaica, I worked at the, taught at the college level. I taught um, undergraduates or bachelor's and master's level students, um, computer programming, information systems, and so on. And so that was my, the combination of building systems and teaching systems design and teaching computer programming was my career pre-autism. And, and pre-autism is a, like, you know, autism and autism diagnosis is a really pivotal moment and so many things shift. Um, but that was my experience pre-autism. Yes. And I, and I read on your website or, or somewhere where you were quoted, where you said, I love thinking about systems and processes that help us figure out how to apply what we know to the situations we face. Now, does that line of thinking, did that transition in any way to how you approached your son's diagnosis? Yes, I think so. At the time I didn't realize it. Right. But I am, I, I think building systems makes you made me very tolerant of the unknown because when somebody needs something built, they, they don't know how they just kind of come to you with an idea and then they say create it. And so I think I was very tolerant of, uh, OK, let's figure this out. And so with autism, after the initial I have no idea, then like those that mindset kicked in, let's figure it out. And so there was a voracious reading and talking to people and um, while mourning, but but kind of trying to get a sense of what does this mean? Because autism felt like a complete black hole. I, there, whereas I had a sense of kids, I had a sense of parenting, I had a sense, there's, a, you know, our lives give us these vague structures around many things that are known, but autism was just completely unknown. And so it was, it was, I became a student of it. And you, I read, you did not uh, know of this diagnosis until I think your son was around, what did you say, about two years old? Right. He was, he was 22 months when it was suggested to us. And what was it that kind of tipped you off to get things checked out or maybe wonder if something might be wrong? Um, so he was, 
he was responding to his name fine. He was he had a baby babble and you know that conversational sound that babies make. That's almost you know it has all the intonations of language even though there aren't words. Um, and all of that was progressing fine till he was about a year old. And a little after a year, he started to lose some of that, the conversational sound to his babble. Then he stopped being as responsive to his name. So I'd say, hey, Jaden, you know, go get the, you know, stacking ring. And he used to get it. And then and then he would go and get the wrong thing. And then he'd go and come back with nothing. And then after, you know, a period of time, he just wouldn't go. It was as if he wasn't hearing but I knew he was hearing. So I was like, is he getting deaf? What's going on? But I knew he was hearing because, because he'd hear my husband touching the door three floors down. We were in a townhome, like a skinny three-story house. And Isaiah would touch the door, beginning to open it with his key. And Jaden would jump off my lap and run down the stairs. And that was at one and a half. And so I knew he could hear, but he wasn't being as responsive. And so it was at his pediatrician's visit that I then started to say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I didn't have autism in my mind, but I was like, I, I don't know. Is this something I should be concerned about? He's my first child. I think he's brilliant. He is amazing. He's doing so many wonderful mm -hmm. things, but I don't know if this is normal. And so did your pediatrician then... Um move you guys on to some testing or something like that? So she started to ask me these questions, which were, I, I felt, uh, I blog about this particular incident a lot because it was surreal. She said, um, does he like spinning objects? Like, does he like, you know, setting his toys spinning or anything? And I, I had immediate visions of all of the toys that Jaden would set on the corner of the toy and he'd just spin them. He'd spin the blocks, he'd spin the stacking rings, he'd spin the mm. plates. And then she said, does he like looking at the fan? And it's like, this, how, how does she know that? He, mm -hmm. I would use the fan to keep him quiet for the diaper change because there was no keeping him still. But and I'd, we had ceiling fans in Jamaica in every room. And so I just made sure it was on and he'd be mesmerized. And so she then said, you know, you probably should get an autism diagnosis. Well, you should get an evaluation done. But in Jamaica at the time, he was really young for the the instruments that were used for assessment at the time and because um, he's now 20 years old. And so there was only one person who was qualified to diagnose at that age. And she happened to be a colleague of mine because I worked at the university and the university hospital was a teaching hospital. They were, it was, they were both, it was part of the same entity. And so I basically took him to work with me one day. I had spoken to her at her office, took him to work with me and went walking across the campus to where the medical department was and had her look at him first before we even did anything official. Mm -hmm. And she she was just talking with me and observing him. And she was like, I am sure he's on the autism spectrum. And I, you know, as she's looking at him, I'm looking at him too. And I'm saying, oh, he's doing so well. He's, he's playful. He's, you know, but, but she was like, but he's not playing with us. He's, he's looking at the grooves in the table. He's not concerned with the toys. He, and it, it, that was the kind of emergence of this idea. Oh, he has to be interested in, in what we think he should be interested in. And, and so this was this emergence of what's normal, quote unquote, what's not normal, this, this idea that you know, we can be failing at being normal, whatever that mm. means and, and the heartbreak of that. Um, and then she, you know, she invited me to come back to have the official diagnosis done, have her do her various instruments. He was still breastfed at the time. And when I came back with him, 
he was he was just unwilling to be separated from me. So we couldn't do the assessment. Um, he wouldn't interact with her at all. And she and all of this, as far as she was concerned, was was confirmation of the diagnosis because of the extreme separation anxiety and the um, extreme unwillingness to interact with anyone else and so on. So how did, when you first heard this, this word autism and, and were kind of got the official, this is probably what it is, how did that make you feel? Um, well, it was, I mean, it was heartbreaking, but I, I mean, how I, I describe it now, like, um, I was in college when we had that, uh, what it was, when we called it shock and awe, when I think the U.S. had the invasion in wherever in the Middle East. I just mm-hmm. remember the phrase shock and awe. And that phrase came back to me at the point of the diagnosis. I was like, this must be what it felt like when people woke up and a bomb had been let off and mm-hmm. and their loved ones had died. Like, the world is forever different and there's no fixing it. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was the the experience of the moment. I, I, there wasn't anywhere to go to fix it. And I think, especially for um, somebody like me, I, I'm a I, you know I get things done. That's just <laughs> I, I you know so I, I know I can I can plot a path, and that's, that's what a systems person is—a person who can plot a path from any point to any other point. But but I, I couldn't plot a path from where I was to. To, I, I couldn't see any outcome. I just didn't understand what it meant. And I had had postpartum depression with Jaden, and that was the first time I'd had reasonably significant depression. I didn't. I'm not. I wasn't at that point a person who felt sad for extended periods of time. And um, so, right after the diagnosis, I recognized what was happening. I said, "Oh, this is depression," because I, I just. But it wasn't tied to any anything that felt like it would end. Postpartum depression felt like it would end um, after a period of time, but I didn't know just what to do to to make it go away and to give me a sense of how I would move forward. So that was, it was, it was a, it was a big blow. And I think also my husband and I process things differently as most, you know, couples do. And um, he was very, um, nothing's wrong with our child. Um, and so then it, and a lot of people in Jamaica, uh, response wise were either, no, he doesn't look autistic, but then, you know, we had very limited notions of what autism is. And then, um, or no, 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 he's just clingy because you spoil him or, you know, things like that. So there's just a combination of this experience of, is this my fault? Did I do something? Was it that time in the pregnancy when I had to go to the hospital and I took that medication? What it, it, There was just this barrage of what's going on and why. So you, you said, you know, you didn't know what to do. You weren't sure what the outcome was going to be. But looking back now, I can see that you eventually did get on a path. Um, you Ultimately, you created a Melody of Autism. You wrote a book. Um, you are involved in all kinds of community programs and aspects related to autism. But of course, like you said, your son is now 20 years old. So you've had a lot of time to process this and learn and help other moms that are dealing with this diagnosis that are just feel like they're getting just, you know, slapped upside the head, you know, out of nowhere, just like you described for yourself. So can you just tell me how you went from this moment, this really um, scary moment where you got this diagnosis 
to sort of the pathway that you went on and are on now? Can you tell me how that happened and and also just what it means to you to build this community that supports other parents that are going through this? So that's a that's an interesting question and I wonder myself sometimes, but what what I know now um well, let me say this. Jaden's name means God has heard. And actually, Jaden um, and Simon, his sister, they both have similar meanings. I really felt that meaning resonating for me. And I felt like um, the kids were a promise to me that God had heard my prayers, whichever ones um, I had prayed. And, and so generally for him, I really believed and still believe, but I'll, I'll call, I'll tell you the qualification to my belief in a minute. Um, but I really believe that God had heard my prayers for his growth, for his development in spite of what I was seeing and would guide me to solutions that would help him. And so there was a fight between this pain and this blindness is what it felt like. And this belief that God had heard but there was a moment when, and I don't remember exactly, I think maybe Simon had just been born or, but early in, in the journey when I felt really deep down this question, um, whose prayers do you think I've heard? And that was the first time I, I felt, I, I felt the question almost like a shock. Like I, obviously my prayers, I mean, what do you mean? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was the opening up of this idea that Jaden could be the answer to other people's prayers. And mm-hmm. um, so as I learned approaches and I, you know, I kind of, as I said, I'm a, a good student. And so I would just approach everything from that point of view and try to listen to what was in my heart when things didn't feel good to me in terms of approaches in New York, there are many resources, but um, some of the resources that were easy to get didn't feel um, aligned with my heart or, or with what I valued. And so I was looking for solutions that felt good to me. And when I found them, then I would share them. I would talk with families about them. I especially wanted to share with families who were in Jamaica, who had less access to resources. Um, I wanted to share it in a way that was digestible, that didn't feel as dense as it felt to me. Um, Because in Jamaica, I was handed an ABA book, Applied Behavioral Analysis, which is what was considered and still is considered the main approach for kids with autism. And I, I, I had no idea what to do as I read it. I said, this, this doesn't even make sense. And I'm like, and I teach at the college level and I like, mm-hmm. so, so what is everybody doing? What, what are, you know, and in, in Jamaica, I became, I guess, aware of massive communities in rural areas that could only come to a clinic once a month to get medication. There wasn't any sense of therapy at the time for some of these communities. And so I just felt the responsibility to learn on behalf of others. And so mm. I took that forward as I implemented a home program for Jaden. I started to homeschool, implemented a home program for him and met other people who were doing a similar program. When I met them, they'd ask me, hey, do you know anybody who knows the program? Like, you know, the program, like I know the program. So I started to 
to offer them people. Hey, I just trained this volunteer, but she lives closer to you than she lives to me. Maybe she could kind of spend some time with your kid as well. And so that my, my kind of taking my ability to train people and to build curriculum, um, helped me to run an internship out of my home, which then I expanded into, if I have extra people, maybe I can offer them to others, which then I formalized into a business. And that was how Melody of Autism was birthed. And so it, it just became for me, this sense of this, this pain, this discomfort, this whole journey has to mean something more than just helping Jaden. And it was actually a, a bomb to me because I always felt like every solution was too late for Jaden. And I'm, that's, mm. you know, part of my growing process. And I, st- I have to keep, you know, trusting and so on. But, but I, I would learn something. It felt too late or, or too late for me to get the money for it or, or not have enough money for the thing. But, but I could share it with somebody who could then respond to it or work towards it or, or whatever. And so being able to, I don't know if that's paying it forward or but just to yeah. think about this two-year-old who's being diagnosed tomorrow and yeah. to be able to say something to his mother that could help her have a faster journey um, towards yeah. healing. That was, that was part of how I, you know, just helped myself move forward. And, you know, I think autism is a lot of times probably misunderstood. People hear the word a lot, but maybe don't really understand it. What would you say uh, to someone that isn't very familiar with it or what might you want people to know about kids with autism um, that maybe everyone doesn't know? So autism is a spectrum disorder, and that means that there's such a wide range of symptoms. Um, And so the first thing I would say is that two kids with autism are just two kids with autism. Um, But most of the kids struggle at some level with the ability to communicate effectively, um, the ability to completely organize their bodies. And that means that could be as profound as with my son having difficulty controlling um, his movement. So he's very impulsive and and can, uh, you know, run away and, and stuff like that to other kids who may appear to be in good control of their body. But when you talk with them, they confess to not being as easily able to do what they want to do. And so communication, motor planning, this motor control, and then sensory, sensory kind of um, differences. So sensory differences just means some things may be too loud or too soft. Some textures may be uncomfortable. The, the way information is coming into them is different than the way information is coming into others. And so um, they respond to that. I, I remember a teenager saying that he couldn't pay attention in school. He was quite articulate, mm-hmm. but he couldn't pay attention in school because he could hear his heart beating. And mm-hmm. I thought, hmm, if, I, if I could hear my heart beating all the time, I probably couldn't pay attention either. Yeah. And so that's, that's the experience. But uh, I'll just say that the lack, a difficulty communicating, a difficulty controlling the body is not a difficulty thinking. And many mm-hmm. people treat people with autism um, based on how they express themselves and not honoring the, the fact that they're humans in a body that may not be cooperating with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine that it can be extremely difficult uh, because people don't recognize that someone has autism 
immediately because obviously most people look just normal. You know, they don't look like they have anything uh, that's going on. And so overcoming the misperceptions or dealing with people that don't quite understand um, is probably something that you've seen your son have to deal with. Um, Are there strategies or things that the kids are taught in order to interact um, with these kinds of things? So it depends on the kid and how um, capable that person is to kind of advocate for themselves. And so I think parents and caregivers and teachers and so have to be the first line of explaining this is what this is um, because some of the sensory issues will cause certain kinds of behaviors that then must be explained because when the person is experiencing it, they themselves can't explain. But as Mm -hmm. kids get older um, and are able to speak for themselves, then they'll, I I know a few people with autism who are really clear communicators and they set very firm boundaries um, to help them to protect themselves sensory wise. And they'll just declare, this is what this means for me. I have autism and this is what this means. Or even if they don't use the label, they'll um, be able to say, but I think parents have to be the first line of expressing this is what this is Um, because the sensory issues and the motor planning issues can themselves limit communication, which is speech is, is a motor activity, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. Uh, I, I read somewhere that you, you wrote when your son got a little bit older, you said that he wrote, assume I'm trying to do great things, which that, that is such a, a powerful thing. It almost makes me tear up just, just reading that out loud. Um, what did you think when you saw that? Well, that was the very first thing he typed ever. So that moment in time was a moment where I, I had invited a speech therapist in to kind of teach us about could Jaden type, but I was really skeptical. Could I didn't even know if he knew his letters. He was 17 at the time and wow. there had been no indication that he could read, but this woman seemed to believe, and I, you know, I'd heard good reports, I had clients who'd used her, and so, but when she was, she was, he was typing with her, and she was just reading out loud the letters he was touching, I was across the room, and she basically just said, kind of casually, you write on what he's saying, so I, I remember it like it's in slow motion, I, A, S, S, and I thought, that's a strange word. What's, what, kind of, <laughs> what, what kind of word is that? And U-M-E. And for me, the world stopped. U-M-E. I was like, that's assume. That's a that's big word. Assume. And it's like, that's, I mean, I, I, I could, I was almost not able to keep myself together right at assume. But she just kept going. It was just like quite normal for her another day at work. Yeah. And, and it was just, um it was like that moment. I remember sharing it with my pastor a few days later. I didn't tell anybody because I, it took me a lot of time to process. We were alone at home. My husband wasn't even there and this was happening and I didn't even know what to think of it. And um, I told my pastor afterwards and he said, you know, this is like when Peter was in, in jail or, or something and, and people were praying for him to be released. And then Peter knocks on the door and the, the woman opens the door and slams it in his face thinking he's a ghost. Mm. Because it's, it's like you ask for something, then you see the thing, but you like, it can't be that it's got to be something else. And so it's like, no, that's not what it is. This is fake. This, this speech therapist is scamming me. This, this was a mistake. This, you know, there was all these other things that were, were there while I was like, could 
my son have this level of thinking in this body that at this point in time was throwing furniture down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I just remember it kind of going on this journey then of, of meeting my son at that level of, of hearing his thoughts and I remember one day in our, I would start to, I learn, I had to learn how to help him to type because his planning, motor planning wasn't good. So he wasn't as good with me as he was with the speech therapist. And she'd ask him how his mom and he'd say, she's getting better in this kind of teenage <laughs> boy way. Um, yeah. And she, I, I did a lesson with him about chemistry and I felt very excited. It was a great lesson and he interacted with me. And at the end of the lesson, I said, do you have any questions? And he said, why baby chemistry? And I was like, what? Why, why baby chemistry? What do you, I, you know, I was trying to figure this out. And then I mm-hmm. said, wait, do you think, do you think this is too basic? And he said, and then the next letters he wrote typed were high school chemistry. Oh, wow. And so for me, it was now this moment of, I had been fo- homeschooling for 14 years. Jaden had been home with his siblings where I'm teaching all kinds of stuff all the time. Could he have been getting stuff all along and I didn't know? Could he have been taking stuff? I mean, I read this stuff in books and I watch it on TV. Could my kid have been taking it in? And so it was just this shifting of my assumptions. I write a lot about interrogating your assumptions. about Yeah. Because, like, you don't know what's going on. And, and so then he was asking me why baby chemistry, like he's rolling his eyes. Come on. Oh man, that's, I can just picture that. So since then, and when when was that? How many years ago was that? You said he's 20 now. So that was was like 16, 17. Yeah. So it was like almost, yeah, it was three years ago. Right. So it it sounds like when he was kind of mid teenage years was you had like a massive shift in understanding where he really was. Right. I shifted in terms of some of my um, approaches to him. Because the approaches I was using when he was younger, it, they felt like they weren't working anymore. And I kind of went on a journey again to, to again, what, what's next? What, what do I need to be doing? And so mm-hmm. I started just approaching things a little bit differently. And that's how I encountered um, some new ways of, of accessing his thoughts. And that became more important to me. How do I help him have ways to express? Uh, all along, I'd been trying to help him speak. Mm-hmm. But then I found I, I wanted to give him ways to express himself and give him ways to help his body be calm. And both of those became my priority that him being calm and peaceful in his body is number one priority. Mm-hmm. And then him being able to express his thoughts is number two. I can imagine that a story like that, maybe even someone listening could really give someone hope that is in the beginning of this and that is wondering how they're ever going to communicate with their child. And I'm sure you've given a lot of people um, encouragement and hope through what you're doing with Melody of Autism and through your book. Tell me, uh, what what exactly is your book about? I assume it's along the same lines. I didn't have a chance to get a copy of it before we talked, but I would love to hear about it and how you ended up being able to write that. I started to need to shift how I was doing business. I enjoyed doing Melody of Autism, but with Melody of Autism, I was primarily training caregivers to be with families. Um, and I wanted to work with the families directly. The, the, the thing that I wanted to help families have was time to heal, time to be with themselves, just time to 
to reflect time. I wanted to give the gift of time. And I was giving it through caregivers, but as busy A-type mamas and daddies, the gift of time I offered did not necessarily turn into reflection and self-care. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to focus on my work with parents. And so Parenting Like a Ninja is that journey that I went on as a mom who went from feeling pretty overwhelmed and fragmented. Teen years were tough for me, early teens. And um, I, I went through a pretty intense anxiety and kind of just heart palpitations and the whole deal. And having to learn how to bring myself back together with practices and with knowledge and just to apply the same things I was applying to my son to help his, his body become, I needed my body to become. Mm-hmm. And so, and then to get to a place of grounding that helped me see that I was missing fulfillment um, professionally and, and so on. And so, although I had started Melody of Autism, I also needed to kind of tune in a little bit more and kind of sit in the sweet spot of what am I on the planet to do and who am I here to serve. And so Parenting Like a Ninja challenges a mom to harness her energy and be able to direct it in the ways that she really wants. And it really challenges moms to see this as a gift to their children because many times we see it as taking away from the parenting experience. And I say no. Um, It actually is an incredible gift when you meet your needs. You actually have energy for the parenting journey that you don't have when you're just pouring out. And so that's how I, I talk about the parenting journey and parenting like a ninja. And how do you do that for yourself? <laughs> Sometimes not very well. Um, but I've learned that I am introverted, like I didn't know that. I'm kind of borderline introverted. And that means for me that I do need a lot of solo time. And I wasn't getting, I was getting solo time, but not like solo from adults, but with kids all around between homeschooling and therapies and all this thing. And so just things like leaving the house, it took me a few years to get my family used to the idea that I leave the house on a Saturday and I don't return. Uh, unless you don't take anyone with you. No, no one comes with me. And unless there's something critical where I'm dropping someone somewhere, you know, and so I kind of really developed these routines and business helped me with that because it's almost like business legitimized. I'm leaving the house, I'm doing a workshop. And then after the workshop, I just didn't come back. <laughs> the workshop's two <laughs> hours and I'm gone for 12. Um, and what, and what was your favorite thing to do in those hours alone? Sometimes I just sit in the car. I just would sit, you know, the kids think it's a joke now. So mommy's in the driveway. <laughs> just, I would just sit in the car. I, I would have an audiobook or music, but it, at first it's just the being by myself to do whatever I wanted. And in the book, I talk about that as autonomy. It's a basic human need to direct mm. your life. And so, but I love deep conversations. I, I So it could be at a coffee shop with a friend that I haven't seen. And then we just kind of sit for hours and go into all of the juicy stuff. Or yeah. it could be a drive into the Hudson Valley area. I'm in New York and I'm, you know, and just look at trees and foliage and just kind of be with nature. I don't run in nature, but I can sit in nature. Yes. <laughs> so um, I love heat. I can, there's a, I love a massage, but oh, yeah. when I can't afford the massage, I can just go and sit in the sauna. It's cheaper yeah. than a massage. That's something. I, let's go sit for like, a, you know, and just have that experience. So it, it's more 
gifting myself time and the choice to pay attention to me. Um, even if it means spending a little bit of money that I would normally have spent without a thought on therapy, vitamins, special foods, clothes, you know, I would spend this money on the kids without a thought. But then I think, oh, thirty-five dollars to sit in the sauna. Oh, yeah. And so, so yes. So, did you and your husband have, um, you know, your husband also? I'm sure need needed some time for himself. So, how did you guys work this out in your marriage? Um, and to, I mean, three kids, one of them with special needs. There's a lot going on there to keep things at peace in your marriage. I'm sure. So. Um, anything that you could mention about that side of things? Well, you know, some years are hectic and (laughs) we've been married now 24 years. And I think we go through seasons of trying to figure this out. Um, when we have good childcare situations, then we'll take time together and leave, whether it's for a weekend or something like that. But at this point in time, we haven't gotten back into that rhythm yet in a, for a few years, but we both have kind of clear, independent things that we're doing. And at, at this point, we're saying, hey, um, you care for you. I'll care for me. If we're healthy, then we're be- in better shape to care for us. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've just been giving each other the space to um, to do what he needs to do, what we each need to do. So he's a worship leader at our church. And part of the struggle for us has been to be at church together. And we don't pursue being at church together too much anymore. It just became too hard uh, when yeah. there aren't accommodations. And so he gets a lot of fulfillment from doing that. And that's a, a you know, a kind of clear thing outside of work that's fulfilling for him. And he, that you know, he does that. And we're, we're kind of really supportive of him doing that. And how, how much has your faith been a part of this for you to find strength and, you know, just keep going when it's really hard? I think, I mean, all, for everything, I, 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 one of my first memories as a person of faith is recognizing my name, faith. I'd been told from my, by my family what my name meant to them, why they called me faith, and just hearing the word as an instruction and as an encouragement to me. So having faith in, um, in, in bigger than me, God, you know, in, in this idea that I don't have to be alone and I don't have to know everything and I don't have to be everything that there's infinite resources and infinite capability and all of that available to me. Um, as I understand him as God, um, has been very grounding because there's so much that I don't know. And so I do feel really called to this journey. And when I lose my bearing, um, then it's like, wait, what, 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 what am I supposed to be doing? And, and so those quiet times become a time of hearing again and receiving again. It's like, what, what am I here for and why? And owning, I guess, this calling that comes outside of me, but anchors to my heart because I was created for this call. And then I can kind of be a conduit of the call to others. So it it feels very important to me. And and especially during times when faith feels shaky, because I think those are tons of times. There's there's lots of times when, when, what did I believe about this again? Mm -hmm. Um, That feels really 
those questions come often. And when I don't have answers to those questions, then faith is just, I know that I'm called. I know that I'm created. I know that I'm loved. I know that I have access to resources. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to sit in that knowing and trust that more answers will come when it's time and then take the next step. Well, I loved what you said in the beginning of our conversation about Jaden being the answer to someone else's prayers. Um, and, you know, I think, just think that's so beautiful. Have you, have you seen that um, come to fruition? And, um, and just, that just seems like such an amazing, just such a beautiful realization that you had. Well, the, one of the first times when it, it kind of just hit me was in a volunteer meeting. I had a bunch of volunteers working with Jaden and I was training them on a bunch of stuff. And the volunteer came to me afterwards and she said, I'd have broken up with my boyfriend if it wasn't for the training that you're giving us. Because all this stuff, you think it's about autism, but it really is about us. Mm-hmm. And so um, just over the years, hearing the women, um, whichever people, but hearing the women right now I work with, special needs moms who are also starting businesses and I I help them with strategic planning and thinking about how to make this business work in a way that fits their families. But then we get to really share heart to heart. We get to hear each other's pain. I'm pretty transparent with them about what's going on with me now and the techniques I'm using to stay in alignment with my calling. And then just to hear them feel heard and feel seen and then for them to create something out of that, I, you know, I, I, like if it wasn't for Jaden, I don't know that I would have had the courage to step out in the ways that I've stepped out. So um, he's definitely been, I tell people he's a Jedi master. He teaches me and then I teach you others. So I wanted to ask you about uh, Melody of Autism. And then in your, your email sign off, it says harmonize your life. Can you tell me why you decided to call it Melody of Autism? Uh, it was years ago, and I um, I decided that my, my approach to autism was was to find the music to to not be in conflict with it, but to be in alignment with it. And I mm. had felt that so many of the therapies I was doing were in conflict with autism, and we're trying to stop it. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to control it. And I shifted to kind of trying to understand my son and to try yeah. to be in sync with him. And so my husband, you know, was a, he and I used to be in a band when we were dating. And so, um, the idea of kind of being together with people to create music is very organic and native to me. And so I wanted that to happen with autism and then to share that beauty with others. And so this harmonize your life though, was kind of like at a deeper level to when you can come in in sync with yourself, then it's really beautiful. Can you step out instead of stepping into the frenzy of being pulled in multiple directions? Can we step into peace and into harmony and into flow with, not against, but just with the life we have? Oh man, that is such a good message for every single person (laughs) in all of life, not just in the autism community. I think that could apply to anyone and everyone that is trying to find a little bit more peace in their daily, um, in their lives as a whole. Um, if you're speaking to a mom, maybe there's a mom listening that has recently gotten a diagnosis or maybe will get one soon. What is a message that you would have for her? 
I want her to know that although she thinks it's about her child, it's really about her. Um, she has been called to be a conduit, to be an advocate, to be a journey person with this child, with this human for whatever their journey is. But, but to be that person, it's really about her. Um, we try to control what the outcome is going to be for the child. Um, and at the expense of ourselves. And so when I talk with moms now, I try to focus in on the self-care, which sounds so cliched, but on the, <laughs> how do you hear your own heart in this? And how do you grieve the process that you're in right now and the experience that you've had? And, and how do you make sure that you keep relationships, even though it becomes triply hard and just, um, I, I, so I would encourage her to to go slow, even though the temptation is to hurry because milestones are being missed, because developmental windows are closing, nothing's closing, nothing's missed. Um, but if she helps herself be whole or at least acknowledge where she's it, where she's at, she's so much better able to hear the solution for her child because she has the answer for her child. So much of this journey tells us that the answer is somewhere out there, but the answer is really in her, but to build the capacity to hear it, she needs to work, just be with herself. And there are lots of people. I'd love to be on the phone with her if she wants to kind of process this some more, but just the journey's inward first. So yeah, that's like... Hear. That just gives me this vision of, of God has just income or just has innately gifted moms and, and parents uh, with this ability to really know their own children. And I just I love that message so much. I really feel like somebody could take take so much from that. Such a powerful thing to say. Um, well, Faith, we have that's pretty much the end of, of that part of the podcast. I do have a few extra questions I wanted to ask you, just some fun stuff at the end. If you don't mind, I sent these to you, so maybe you had a moment to look them over. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. If not, just off the cuff works for me. Uh, one. So I like to ask people, what's a message that you'd like to send to the next generation, your kids or just others listening? What's one important message that stands out for you that you would want to pass on? Um, it's always showtime. Um, it's not, this is not the dress rehearsal. Every moment is showtime. And so show up, show up for the present moment that you're in. That just means like show up with joy, show up with energy and just do this moment, whatever it is right now. If you're playing, play hard. If you're learning, learn hard. If you're giving, give hard, just show up full out in every moment. All right. If that was off the cuff, that was really good. <laughs> now, we haven't mentioned it yet, but Faith also has a podcast. Um, tell us about your podcast and then tell me if you have any other favorite podcasts that you like to listen to. Disrupt and Lead. So Disrupt and Lead, my podcast is a bunch of interviews. I call them the, the conversations about the crazy and the chaos and the courage to create more of what we want. Um, interviews with uh, the group I'm calling the Autastic Biz Tribe, which is a <laughs> bunch of people who have kids with special needs, but who are also running business or side hustles or ventures of some sort. And it's just, you know, I want anybody listening to hear my life is crazy too. And there's a bunch of people with crazy lives and they're still creating more of what they want. And so you can too. 
um, and a podcast that I enjoy, you know, it floats around so much. Um, I enjoy how I made it. Is that an NPR podcast? How I built this, how I built this. Yes. Right. I enjoy that one. I enjoy Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Is that revisionist history? Uh Um, let me see what else comes up. I enjoy the life coaching, the life coaching school. Okay. That one, Brooke I think Castillo. I know which one. Yes, I've heard a lot of people mention that one. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that um, when I when I float through it, and then um, I'm always uh, what always comes up. Which is, my kids listen to a couple of kid podcasts, so there's one mm-hmm. that always floats through. Which is it? There's Paws and Tails, uh, which still flows through my um, my phone. So that one, <laughs> that one is like, yeah, you know, kid stuff always speaks to me. I'm listening to a kid stuff and I'm crying. It's like, yeah, I know it's for an eight year old, but. <laughs> It was for me <laughs> in that moment. So, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Um, now, if you could have dinner with someone famous or someone cool, who would it be and why? Hmm. Famous or cool? Or famous and cool. Famous and cool. <laughs> Let's see. I'm There's a combination of Oprah and Mother Teresa that's coming to me right I now. I like that. I like that so much. You can have them both. Both. That's what I think. <laughs> um, and this is a this is a question. I'm just curious. Um, you being from Jamaica and speaking of dinner, what are your favorite foods from Jamaica? Um, because I don't get to have them, then other things have become favorite because I don't get to have them. So breadfruit is a, a carbohydrate that we have. I, I don't know how to describe it, but fried breadfruit in coconut oil. Mm with codfish and tomatoes stir fried with onions that would be lovely especially very specific it sounds good it's delicious it's delicious so okay um and then do you have a favorite book or a book you're reading now that you could recommend I don't have a book that I'm reading I mean I do have books that I'm reading now but I'm all in the middle of several of them so they're all kind of like a blur but the book that came to mind is the go-giver Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's like an allegory about this person who wants to change their lives. And, and then they meet up with this person that says it's really not in receiving, but in giving. And it's a business model, but it was just so transforming. It was freeing, um, uh, give more than you plan to receive and just things like that as a way to run business. It was just very, um, healing and freeing for me when I read it. So the oh, go Yeah, that sounds like a really good one. Uh, Well, Faith, thank you so much for talking with me today and connecting with me. I'm so glad that we were able to find each other. And um, I loved, I really loved talking with you today. I think you had so much great wisdom to share. And I have no doubt that it's going to be helpful to people that are listening. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Thank you, Erica, and thank you for just holding this space so amazingly for me to to share with you. Thank you. Well, thanks for tuning in today, guys. I hope you'll check out Faith's website, her book, all that great stuff that we talked about. Definitely a lot to dig into whether or not you're a parent of a child with autism. I think she had a lot of great things to share. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please do consider leaving a rating and review for Worth Your Time on iTunes. Looking forward to chatting again with you next week. Have a good one. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan 
discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.